Welcome to episode 4 of the Pogue McGoal podcast. My name is James Carew, co-editor of Pogue McGoal website and magazine, and you're listening to the fourth edition of the podcast, coinciding with the launch of the brand new Issue 6. Pogue McGoal takes a close look at football culture, historic matches, iconic figures and more, and how photography and art can be inspired by the beautiful game. Our brand new issue, Issue 6, is now available to order from pogmagoal.bigcartel.com. 64 pages where football meets design with contributors from both Ireland and 16 other countries. But before we continue with today's episode, there's this. And as for Saga to his left and Valdana to his left, he doesn't he won't need any of them. Oh, you have to say that's magnificent. There is no debate about that goal. Enrique to Maradona. Different class. When they talked about the great players of world championship football, this man will be on a pedestal. Diego Armando Maladonna. On today's episode, we're joined once more by the author of a feature article from issue 6 of the magazine, and we'll be taking a closer look at the piece in a few moments. But first, on the day we are recording, the sad news is broken of the death of a player many regard as one of the greatest to ever grace the game. Diego Maradona has passed away at the age of 60. My co-host today again is Joe Phelan, a news editor based in London and contributor to Pogue McGoal. Welcome back, Joe. And your reaction, first of all, to the sad news? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I, oh, I'm probably going to wax a bit lyrical here, but because uh, I, I know Maradona was playing club football until the mid '90s in Argentina, but even though he was still a player during my lifetime, his peak, I'll be like, undoubtedly came before I was born. So I've never really seen anything other than highlights and clips. And having lived in England for my entire life, there's a particularly contentious clip involving a missed handball that I've seen countless times. But um, you can tell just from watching him play for a couple of seconds that he was almost he was almost a different species of player. Uh, the way the ball just seemed to absolutely fall under a spell whenever it came within his vicinity and that he could seemingly always predict where a tackle was going to come from and then elegantly avoid it. It was almost like he was baiting the opposition. And um, 
I spoke on the podcast recently about how players like Zidane and Cantona, they had the ability to make football seem effortless. And while Maradona absolutely had the ability to do the same, like every time I see clips of him, it's almost like he was humouring the other players just by being on the same pitch as them and by participating in the same game because he was just so evidently superior. It's like when Usain Bolt was in his prime, it just didn't seem fair on the other people that were involved. And um, it takes a, like a pretty special player or a, spe- a pretty special person to be able to transcend their endeavour or like in, in this regards, a sport and then become a face that's known globally. So even to people with zero interest in football, they, they know who he is. They, they, they know the face of Maradona. And that's a real indication of the fact that he was far more than a player. And he was and I, I'm always I'm sure he always will be an icon and a hero in Argentina. He'll be forever loved uh, in Naples, where he played the best club football of his career. And he's always going to be regarded by football fans, whether they saw him play or whether they didn't, as someone who progressed the game. So he did things that people had never seen before, and they arguably didn't see again until Messi came on the scene. And I don't think that's going to be forgotten in a hurry. And Finally, I I spoke to my dad just before I did this recording and he's Irish, so he has a particular fondness for anyone who's been able to humiliate the English in any capacity. So I I generally take his anti-English rhetoric with like a pinch of salt. But my dad is absolutely adamant that he's never seen anyone that comes close to Maradona. And that's taken into account Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo. And given that my dad's watched football for far longer than I have and he's seen both Messi and Maradona playing when like, they were at the peaks of their respective powers, I've got to, like, to a certain extent, I've got to accept that my dad probably has a better gauge on the greatness debate that, that I than I do. It's pretty phenomenal looking through social media today. Almost every single tweet from players to every football club to sports publications and outlets around the world is all about him. So our guest today is Bruno Rodriguez, a journalist from Sao Paulo in Brazil, a reporter with Folio de Sao Paulo, a major newspaper in Brazil, and also the curator of the Futebol Café website. Welcome to the Pogba Goal podcast, Bruno. First of all, what's your reaction to the death of Diego Maradona? Well, hello, um, James, Joe. It's very nice to uh, be here with you. I hope I can make myself understand uh, to you all. Um, look, um, I still, uh, I'm still like dazzled. I think that's the word, right? Yeah. You know. Uh, my dad sent me a message and he told me that Clarín, a major newspaper in, uh, in Argentina, uh, published the news of, the, of Maradona's passing. So I went like, everything starts to move faster when you, when you get uh, this kind of news. So I got my, my cell phone, um, I went to, to, to Twitter first to see other uh, news outlets uh, and they were already... Um, publishing and, and doing the repercussion of, of Maradona's death. So I'm still like, uh, it, it's it's like it hasn't happened, you know? Um, I have this this feeling of, uh, we'll take um, a, a couple of days or a couple of weeks, I don't know, until we realize what's going on, who's passed uh, Maradona's legacy, um, the impact that he will have in, in his death will have in Argentina, in Argentinian football, in Argentinian life. I mean, um, it's very, it, it, it's very crazy what's going on today while we, we are recording this um, and, and, and talking about the death of one of the greatest. Um, I, I think I might go 
to the same path as Joe, as he said about his father. And my, I haven't seen Maradona too, playing. Uh, all I saw was uh, documentaries, videos, um, YouTube, um, YouTube videos of Maradona in, in World Cups and in clubs and in in Napoli, in in Boca Juniors. So I had this, I, I I made this myth in my head of what Maradona was like a football player, and my father was the person that brought me some reality to it because he saw. Obviously, Argentina are Brazil's great rivals, sporting rivals. So how was Maradona perceived amongst Brazilian football fans? I know, for example, Messi is adored. He's, he transcends football rivalry. And the debate was always Maradona versus Pelé. And I know in recent weeks, Maradona has undergone major surgery. And if you saw the scenes outside the hospital, uh, when it went successfully, the uh, hordes of people chanting the doctor's name, um, slapping him on the back. I know for I know that Pelé is not universally loved in Brazil. So I'm 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 really curious to know what is the opinion of Maradona in Brazil. Yeah, um, I, I think people in general had this impression of, of the rivalry of Argentina versus Brazil and of this, this rivalry between uh, the two greatest of each country, uh, of Pelé and Maradona. Yeah. But it, it's funny because here in Brazil, there are lots of people who admire Diego Maradona. I mean, I have a friend that today he, he tweeted and I work with him at the newspaper and he tweeted like um, Argentina lost maybe it's most important person today yeah and it's a, it's a brazilian saying that the only parallel that we can make uh in argentinian history maybe it's with uh juan domingo peron which was was the president uh, of the of the peronism uh, throughout the, the the 40s and and the 50s uh, so so that's the comparison you know it, it transcends football it transcends what happened in, in the pitch in World Cups. It's a national thing. And here in Brazil, there's this general impression of the rivalry of um, like diminishing Maradona's legacy and, 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 and his career. But I personally, I admire and, and it was one of my greatest idols. Um, I couldn't see him playing, like, like I said, but it, 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 was, it was one of the references, one of those players that you dream about. It was a, a persona that it was most in my dreams, in my head, of imagining how it was living Ma the Maradona days, you know? So that, there's the general impression, but uh, lots of people admire Maradona, and there are people including who, who think um, that Maradona was better than Pelé. You can't find these this people here in Brazil. You can't find Brazilians who have uh, this opinion, which is uh, bizarre. But um, I still think Pelé is the greatest, but not too much above Diego Maradona. I, I think as well, one of the, the things that makes this whole, uh, that him dying so surprising is, is during my lifetime, the only times that I ever see Maradona in the news is when, something, when he's going into hospital or when he, when he is ill or when he's, um, he's having issues with drugs or alcohol or something. And he's always sort of, like, over time, accumulated this persona of almost being immortal like th th he'd, he'd go through these things all the time and then he'd come out the other side and then next he'd be the manager of some team in Dubai or, or, or something and it, it, it's like these things obviously they were taking a toll on his body but 
it, it was almost like they weren't. It's, it's like, oh, he's back to normal now. The, the doctors have sorted him out. And I, I think it's a similar thing to when George Best died. So people knew that he was going through difficulties. He was having troubles with alcohol and stuff, but he kept seeming like he was overcoming them. And then all of a sudden, it just his, his body just, just gave up on him. And it's, it's, it's very sad. And I think a lot of people will, will have maybe seen this coming because he's been in and out of hospital so frequently. But I, I think that does, it doesn't diminish the shock any any less really. Maradona's goal against England in 1986, the goal that he dribbles a lot of, of players and, and it's like a metaphor of Maradona's life in the last uh, 30 years. Um, lots of Argentinian journalists, they say this, they say that uh, Maradona's life was like a, a constant dribble. He was always dribbling um, problems in, in, in life and those um, in the hospitals and, and doctors. So Now at 60, we uh, we were expecting that he would dribble once more, but he was very bad in a, in, in a very bad uh, health condition, and we could see it uh, while he was training uh, Ginasi Esgrima, the, the club that he was that he was um, coaching. Uh, you saw during games that he was not okay, but people didn't know that he was in such a bad condition, and this this last uh, weeks showed us that he was he was in really bad shape, suffering from problems uh, involved his medication and, and maybe alcohol. People talk a lot about Maradona, especially in Argentina, of course, but about his health, there was no secure information about what was going on. I think that's a fabulous image of that goal against England being a metaphor for his life. I think the goal will always be remembered and therefore he will always be remembered. And so staying in South America, Bruno, Let's take a look at your article for the Pogum Gold magazine. To many fans, Marta Vieira da Silva is known simply as Marta. She's the most prominent name in women's football history. Breathtaking Marta. Sandra Senior, and that's three. Playing football has always been an uphill fight for Brazilian women. Marta. Makes it 1-0. In a country where football is rooted in its culture, women were banned from the sport. When I was small, I had to play with boys and there was a lot of prejudice. The times I played in the street of my city and how hard it was because the boys did not want me to play. You put your feminine independent of yourself. But we still have a long way to go. These girls can now say they are playing in the only country in the Americas that's starting to close the gender pay gap. You explore the history of women's football in Brazil. Yeah, I start the, the, the article um, talking about the last World Cup in 2019 because I think it, it was a shifting point um, to women's football not only in Brazil but in other countries that are still developing uh, women's football and we we had the opportunity to see and to watch all the games in, in, in live television in open air uh, channels sadly we have the pandemic right now it was like a break from this development that women's football was experimenting here in Brazil. Um, the, the Brazilian Confederation, the Football Confederation, tried to ease the, the difficulties of the, of the clubs, 
by lending them some money to to keep the the, the women's uh, department but some clubs like mismanage this uh, this help this financial help what the clubs decided to do with that money was their own decision there were clubs that simply got this money and used uh, for the for the men's team but there was a shift i mean the world cup last year showed us that women's football can be great you can see great games uh, the world cup had a, a great level especially at the at the the final um, phases of the tournament it was great to watch it was great to watch and not only brazil other national teams too that we didn't uh, know very well very well um, and as i i told at the article um brazilian football women's football uh, was forbade for almost 40 years in brazil it started in the 40s by the getulio vargas government And only in 1978-79, the government um, allowed women to play football professionally and legally. In this period, of course, there were uh, women who, who played uh, football illegally, who managed to keep playing, to keep doing what they, what they loved to do. And that, of course, it was a huge setback to developing uh, women's football in Brazil. Formiga, uh, which is 42, It will be 43 in the Olympics next year in, in, in Tokyo. Uh, she was born in that period. So she uh, she began to know football as a as something forbidden to women. If you could imagine how many Formigas we could have if football was not uh, forbade for so long. So I'm interested to know what attendances are like at women's football getting like club games. Because in, in England, they... Up until about five years ago, the attendances were incredibly low, like 200, 300 people. And that's started to creep up. And annoyingly, it was sort of hitting a really high level before the pandemic started. And now, obviously, everything's down to zero. But, but what sort of crowds do you get? And what's, what's like the, the public appetite for, for women's football? It's, it's very low, Joe. Um, it, it's very low, the attendance. Um, We had last year a, a good experience with Campeonato Paulista. It's the championship from the state of Sao Paulo. We had Corinthians and Sao Paulo at the final. And Corinthians played in its stadium, in its, in its big stadium that hosted the 2014 World Cup. It had more than 25,000 people at the game. And I believe they charged for tickets, which is not common. Here in Brazil, usually the games are for free. It's the record in Brazil for a women's game. I should say my better half is Brazilian. <laughs> so I've been to Brazil quite a number of times and I don't think I've met one Brazilian woman who didn't follow football, watch football, have a football team. To me, it's a country where no matter what gender you are, you follow football. And, and in that respect, it was maybe a little surprising that it has taken so long for women's football to gain the steps it has done in terms of respect and equality. Yeah, yeah. When you go to men's games here in Brazil, of the national championship, original Copa Libertadores, whatever, uh, you can see lots of women in the stands. It was a shift, I mean... I think for the last 20 years, the number of, of women at football stadiums grew a lot. And that's great to see. You go to, to stadiums um, now in Brazil, when you can, not during the pandemic, of course. You have uh, groups of fans which are exclusively from, from women. We call here torcidas organizadas, like the uh, organized group of fans. Uh, not, not the hooligan kind of group of fans, but uh, who has its songs, who has its clothes. So you have these groups of women. 
What I think that the problem was in practicing football, yeah, in playing football, and then we go back to the prohibition during this 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 almost forty uh, years because the society didn't see girls playing football as a as a natural thing. You see women uh, cheering and going to to matches, but you still don't see too many women playing. I think this is this is changing and the World Cup last year was great because of that. In your article you quote from 1941 a Ministry of Education official who said a woman's foot was not made to fit football shoes which I think gives you an indication of uh, the thinking of the time. You also have the story of Leia Campus Medina who was a referee and who would referee matches undercover and was arrested up to 15 times. Uh, and who eventually had to go was it the the military president yeah. to gain a certificate to to be a referee at an international tournament it's very interesting because in ireland for example in recent years the women's national team effectively went on strike and it made headlines around the world when they revealed things like they would only be given tracksuits in the airport and they would have to change in the airport bathrooms into their national team tracksuits and give them back afterwards. So, and this is only a number of years ago. There is a huge drive in Ireland at the minute to make women's sport more visible and there's a much bigger profile on the women's national team. So I'm interested if, if that's a growing phenomenon in Brazil. I know that your people finishes with the fact that just this year they're being granted is it equal pay as the men's national team yeah yeah it's it's the daily payment that uh, national players receive while they're on national duty it was just in 2020 that women gained this recognition what uh, can help and it wasn't in the article now the confederation has two directors who are women taking care of women's football brazil went to the 2019 World Cup with a men director to manage the women's team and that was a controversial statement of the confederation like why there aren't women who are uh, managing this the, the national team now we have two women who are very well prepared one of them was with the Paulista Federation the regional football association here in, in the state of Sao Paulo and the other which was a, a director of Internacional a club from Rio Grande do Sul from the southern part of the country I guess this will also have a great impact on how people see uh, women's football girls and, and young women will see them as one of them it's just interesting that you, you read out that quote from the 40s saying, um, what was it, a woman's foot is not made to fit in a football boot. That seems like, and I'm, I'm quite reluctant to get overly political here, but Bolsonaro has been saying similar things. He was very anti-women. He thought women had very, very specific roles that they should fulfil. Do you think there's a, there's a chance this movement could be pushed back or that, that people will stop playing football? Or has it sort of got momentum of its own now and it, it's going to happen regardless? Yeah, yeah, Joe, this, this is important to, to talk about. Um, as I said, we are in a, in, a, in a good moment, I think, of women's football in Brazil, despite the pandemic. We have a great prospect of what uh, women's football in Brazil will be like in four or five years, you know. Uh, but of course, uh, with Bolsonaro as a president, uh, it, it's a setback to this development, and not just in football. His own government has um, just a few women who are in public places, like taking decisions. We could be in a better moment if we had a, a president who looks, and I'm not talking about football, but looks at this to develop opportunities to women at the labor market, for example. And we do not have this. 
we have, like you said, quite the opposite. We have a, a, a misogynist president, and I think for the, uh, the next two years, minimum, we'll still have to, to struggle with it. Uh, but at women's football, particularly, I, I think mostly because of that women who are now in the Brazilian Confederation, I think it's a good moment. I think we can be confident it will continue growing. Well, Joe, you've mentioned Bolsonaro because Bruno's second article in issue six is a smaller feature specifically about Bolsonaro and how the famous Brazilian shirt has become a symbol of the supporters of the president. Um, And conversely, Bruno, the away kit, the blue kit of Brazil became more popular as an anti-Bolsonaro movement. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Bolsonaro is is a nationalist in his own way. So what are the, the, the symbols that you can use as a nationalist um, voter, as a nationalist Brazilian? The, the national team shirt is one of them. So people went to the streets during the last presidential campaign um, with the with Brazilian shirt, the yellow shirt, which is, it was very funny because uh, it was the same time that the Brazilian Confederation, the Brazilian Football Association, uh, was facing corruption cases that it was news uh, through the whole world, like uh, presidents in jail. We have a president in jail, an ex-president who was the president in the 2014 World Cup, which is Jose, uh, Jose Maria Marin. Uh, he was in jail in the United States. Uh, the other one cannot leave the country. So it, it, it was funny to see people believing that they were um, wearing a strong political statement wearing that shirt while you had that symbol of the Brazilian Confederation. There are some, some leftist movements and, and, and popular movements who are trying to uh, conquer back the Brazilian shirt. Brazilian, at the last Copa America in 2019, they wore a white shirt, uh, which was the, the color that Brazil used at the beginning of the last century until 1950. Until the, the, the 1950 World Cup, Brazil wore white, and then there was the, the Maracanazo, a big, a big setback to, to, to the Brazilian football and national history. Uh, so to the, to the next World Cup in 1954, Brazil wore yellow through a competition of, of drawings that, that, that people, that designers had to think a new Brazilian shirt. So it's kind of new that Brazilians playing um, uh, yellow. Uh, in, at, at the Copa America, it, people started this movement of let's try to get back the Brazilian shirt as a symbol of uh, all the Brazilians, a, a national symbol, not a nationalist symbol as Bolsonaro and as their, the, his, his voters and his supporters were trying to do and are still trying to do with the national shirt. It's very funny that you're coming from a country on the other side of the world, but football being the universal language, the same stories can apply here. Again, in Ireland's case, We're coming through a controversial head of the FA who recently left the association. But like that, because of the scandal that he brought on the association, many people regarded the national team as his team and therefore wanted nothing to do with it. It's very interesting how the same issues can uh, be applied in other parts of the world. It's been brilliant having you on, Bruno. This was the whole reason we wanted to do the Pogue Magol magazine, was that we can invite contributors from all over the world to have a Brazilian journalist writing for an Irish 
publication with an Irish illustrator is exactly what we wanted to do. Your website, Football Cafe, what is the type of content we could find on there? Yeah, well, uh, Football Cafe is a website about football literature. I try to show Brazilian uh, the readers what's going on with football literature uh, uh, at the whole world, you know, at other countries, because we are still beginners in that in writing books about football, in publishing magazines. We do not have, we're a big country. We have a national magazine, which is famous. That is Revista Placar. It's from 1970 and have a, a, a few setbacks at the last years, uh, last few years, but they're trying to, to, to get back on track. Um, but we have few magazines. We have few football books being published. So what I try to show in Football Cafe, what, what's the world doing in terms of, football literature and, and Pogmogo was one of that you know I, I've published an article about the magazine and about the, the shift that you guys made from that newspaper shape to a, a, a more orthodox magazine which I thought it was great to see how the illustrations um, were, were, were published and featured at the magazine so th- this is what I try to to bring to to the Brazilian readers I think that's brilliant I think Joe you'll agree it's been brilliant talking to Bruno today yeah, absolutely fantastic. I, I, I'm the same as you, Jase. I absolutely love talking to people from other sides of the world and then realising that the stories could actually just easily be applied to the English Premier League. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. No, no, I, I would like to thank you, James and, and Joe, for the invitation. It was it was very special. I hope my, my broken English, it, it was not a, a disappointment. In this special day, it's sadly a, a, the day of, of Maradona's passing, but also a special day so we're here talking about him, about football, and about the magazine too. So thank you very much. I can assure you, Bruno, your English is better than my Portuguese. <laughs> but And Joe, thank you for joining us as ever. Yeah, no worries. Thanks, guys. Again, on what is a sad day for football, you have three people uh, from different parts of the world who didn't see Maradona play, but his legend has lived on into our lifetimes. And I think that's a great tribute to him as well. And that's it for the latest episode of the Pogba Gold podcast. Listen out for future editions with more guests who've contributed stories, photography, art and more to both the magazine and website. Tell us what you think by contacting us on social media at Pogba Gold. For more features like this, order your copy, issue 6 of the Pogba Gold magazine from pogmagold.bigcartel.com. And join us next time on the Pogba Gold podcast. <laughs>